You're listening to the Trap One Podcast. I'm Mark. I'm James. And I'm Joe. Welcome, guys. Uh, so we've all been listening to Ravagers from Big Finish, which marks Christopher Eccleston's long-awaited return to the role of the Ninth Doctor. Um, it's kind of a bit of a funny year all round, isn't it, really? I remember his departure was announced in the press like the day after his first episode, so... It was always like a bit, it's it's over before it's began. We started thinking about him in the past tense very, very quickly and speculating on who would replace him. Um, and then, you know, in various interviews, even at the time, I think before the series went out, there was an interview which is on the DVD collection where he's very cagey even then about a second series. Yeah, and it, it was very much kind of seemed like the writing was on the wall. And then... It's always seemed like the chances of him ever coming back were next to zero. Did you you guys ever think this day would come? No, not <laughs> at all. I, I didn't. I hoped, but I didn't actually think. Um, however, or, or, I, I met him a couple of years ago when he was doing London Film and Comic Con, and I was genuinely surprised at just how warmly and affectionately he spoke about his role because it was kind of like like you said it was kind of like you never thought he would go back to it so it, it seemed like he was warming to you know to it but I didn't ever think that he would be back in you know in the way that he is so yeah I always felt like he kind of emphatically said I will never do this again like he was pretty dismissive in every interview and what's sad about this is obviously we'll talk about ravages um, is that he didn't do Day of the Doctor. Like, obviously, he's turned around and, and you know, he changed his mind. It's, just, it's a shame he's changed his mind at this point because I think yeah. he absolutely would have made Day of the Doctor. Like, that role was clearly supposed to be for him, wasn't it? Yeah. There was an we, have a, we have a 60th coming up soon. It's, <laughs> it's just, just keep our fingers crossed. He <laughs> still looks good as well. He could do it. He does, Yeah. I think he is still saying he wouldn't return to the TV show. There was um, an interview he did with Lorraine Kelly, wasn't there, from from his car outside the Big, Big Finish studios where he was talking <laughs> about Big Finish, which is always a bit weird, isn't it, when you hear um, stuff like Big Finish, which is it's easily yeah. just for the fans. It doesn't really have a, a broader mainstream awareness. Um, when it's on like main, uh, you know, primetime TV or something, or daytime TV, somebody's talking about Big Finish. Uh, <laughs> it's always slightly weird. And he and she said, oh, maybe you'd be go back in the TV series. And he was like, no, definitely. No. So he said something like, um, you know, if hell freezes over or something. My favourite quote in the Metro when they were interviewing him was that they, they, they described him as going into a Big Fish production. Um, <laughs> I just thought it was brilliant. They one chance for mass publicity. And they got it from. <laughs> the funniest one I ever saw was recently, it was Derek Jacoby, who was doing an interview. I think it was an audio interview, but it was with, like, with like, you know, some, some big media company. And he says, oh, I'm just off to my garden shed. To do um, to do a big finish production with like it was just so out like so left field. <laughs> I suppose Derek Jacoby, that's the best advertising you can get, right? Yeah, absolutely. Did um, did either of you two read Christopher Eccleston's autobiography that came out a couple of years ago? No, I've not had a chance. I do have it, but I've not had a chance yet. I um so like Chris Rexon is not afraid on social media to uh, be very honest with his opinion, and I, I was a little wary of that because I figured that uh, that would be a pretty savage book. Um, so I, I didn't even buy it actually. 
it's it's very interesting. Like you say, he doesn't really pull any punches. Um, and yeah, he talks about like just in his wider career, he talks about like people he he didn't get on with, like you and McGregor and stuff like that. <laughs> um, about suing like working title and um and and the difficulties he's had. But yeah, the the Doctor Who sections are really they're really nice because he's he's sort of made peace with a lot of things by the time he's written the book. And mm. the Doctor Who chapter is, is bookended with these two bits where he watches Rose with his two young kids. And wow. then after, and then the, the, wow. it, it's ended with watching Dalek with his two young children. Um, and uh, he sort of, he's, he's written like a script, like what each of them are saying about it. And I don't know how, you, how all these kids are. They're pretty young because they're quite scared, um, even watching Rose, which isn't obviously traditionally regarded as a uh, particularly <laughs> scary episode. But they, they're sent out. Those scary dummies. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, the, the, the dummies and the, and the guy getting eaten by the bin, it's, um, it, it's quite scary to them. But yeah, he talks about how basically he loves the part and he, he he's, and throughout the book, he get the, he's really into writing and stuff and it, it, it's writers and scripts that really appeal to him. Um, but yeah, it's interesting when he talks about Doctor Who is that he didn't feel there was a lot to get into the character in the script apart from Stephen Moffat's two-part of the, the Empty Child, the Doctor Dances, mm-hmm. that he, he felt there was more, more of the Doctor's character to get into in that one. Um, but yeah, I think doing conventions has opened his eyes to how much it means to, to people. Um, and, and definitely something that rings true for me, you know, is, is where Doctor Who has been there for people at a really difficult time in their lives. Sure. And um, you know, and that's something that I think you know a lot of people have talked to him about at conventions and different things as well. So he's he's very aware of all that type of stuff and and, mm. and what it means to the fans. If you look at the stuff that Emily Cook has done during the lockdown with the the Doctor Who watch along events, you know, it, it's it's been very powerful. You know, in the in getting Doctor Who fans together at a time when things. In the outside world, are not so good. Mm. Did you see um, the um, when they remade the song from the Rings of Akaten, and you had all the fans like behind there as a massive chorus, and that was one of those moments, you know, where your heart is just swelling, like you're just thinking, okay, this is Doctor Who fans coming together in a dark time, and just oh, it was lovely. It was really sweet. The the sad thing about um, Christopher Eccleston's time, because I think uh, that first series is possibly like the best series of the new series uh, in terms of like a single season I think a lot of people like there's not so much emphasis on the actual season itself but like him going and mm. what when um, and you know I'm not really one for behind the scenes gossip and all that but um, it's a question that's been flung at him a lot and there's never really been like a definitive answer has there as to just like, a clash between three people in the production team. I think that's all he says. Yeah, there's, there's a quote from an interview I saw. He said, I didn't enjoy the environment and the culture that we, the mm. cast and crew, had to work in. If I thought, if I stay in this job, I'm going to have to blind myself to certain things that I thought were wrong, uh, which obviously you can... Uh, so with, with read. Recent, yeah, you can recent. read a lot of ways in light yeah. of recent events. Oh, I, that was probably just John Barrowman on. So, oh, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also I think that the way that he left and they, they, they made up a quote from him as well saying that um, about him not wanting to be typecast and that he found it exhausting, that yeah. they attributed this quote to him that he never said, um, which, 
you know, potentially is going to make it difficult in his career um, for him to be cast in other things, which is terrible. That followed him for ages, didn't it? You know, it, it was like everything he cropped up in, it was like, yeah, expect him to quit after one one season because he doesn't want to get tied down to something. Because he's, he's done quite a few um, series now. Of, is it um, the one with the autistic... The A word, yeah. The A word, yeah. Um, you know, so he's not afraid of... of doing something for more than one one season but that has tarred him for 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 a while yeah I always, and, uh, whenever they like you know give a reason as to why somebody's like, i remember in colin baker's big finish autobiography the audio one that he did and he talks about when he left doctor who and the bbc were like we'll say you know you're you, you know you want to do other work and things like that and he's like no no i'm just going to be honest but yeah, so they try and smooth it over, don't they? Make it as, um, I suppose, not to tarnish the brand. Yeah, yeah. because they, they did try and make out that it was the plan all along, wasn't it? That it was it was supposed to be one and done, surprise regeneration at the end of it. Yeah, no. There's no way that they would plan that. But yeah, let's, let's introduce this guy as the hero of the show <laughs> and then let's place him at the end of the first year. And there was interviews yeah. with Chris Ruckelston early on where he talked about how he was in between series, he was going to go and do theatre and stay connected with that, with live audiences and things. So, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it never really rang true, that, did it? Um, and then it, and, and he believes as well he was blacklisted by the BBC at that point, which was why he moved to America and, uh, and started doing some work over there as well. Although, like, um, out in America, what was was it a Marvel movie he did? He did a, like, one of the superhero movies, didn't he? He did, yeah. Thor, The Dark World. And he certainly hasn't been quiet about what he thought about that production. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what he's brilliant in. Um, if you've ever seen The Leftovers. No. What's that? It's, um, there's, there's three series of it. Um, it's got Justin Through in it as well. Um, and it's, I think it's a, a tenth of the world population just disappears. And this, and it's all set in the aftermath of that. It's a mm-hmm. really, really good series. And he's, he's fantastic in that. Do you remember him in, was it 28 Days Later? He was the, the, the military guy, was it like this? It was. The, the movie was about zombies and he was absolutely scarier than any zombie yeah. in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and what was the horror film he did as well? Um, Shallow, Shallow Grave. Shallow Grave. Well, he, drilled, he drilled the holes in the ceiling to watch yeah. people. He's like manic, isn't he? Like drilling those holes. Yeah. So good. So, so like <laughs> Paul McGann and Tom Baker before him, uh, he's joined Big Finish um, when it seemed seemed unlikely at times, and these stories are set before his TV adventures. Which mm. I was wondering how that would translate because if he would be as brittle and spiky as he was sometimes in in that series one before he'd met Rose that started humanizing after humanizing him after the events of the Time War. But he's not really like that, is he? I think compared to what we saw on TV, he's he's a bit milder here. Well, I was reading some people saying, you know, what, what's happened to the the broken doctor, you know, especially when he gets to Dalek, for example, where he's, you can really see the scars of the time war. But if you watch, um, I, I, after I listened to this the first time, because, you know, it needed a second hearing, which we'll talk about, um, I did watch, I watched Rose, because I was kind of like, you know, how does this compare to... 
his first episode um, on the TV. And actually, there's so many light moments in Rose where he's like, he's like, oh, the ears. And then, you know, he picks up the magazine and flips through it and goes, oh, that won't work. He's gay. She's an alien. There's, there are these lovely light comedy moments, which I think are reflected in this. I don't think he is the moody doctor until later on in the first, you know, in that first season when you start to hear a bit more about the time war. So I, I think it's quite nice that he's not got the time war baggage mm-hmm. in this. And it's, a, and, it, and it's more of that sort of first 20 minutes of, the, of Rose where he's quite lighthearted and joking. And, you know, it, it, although there's a serious side to him, he's still sort of poking fun. Even like the, the, the scene where they're in the um, restaurant and he's going, do you mind? And this sort of thing. And it, he is a comedy doctor, it's just later on in the season it gets darker mm. I always thought it was like the point was it like in Rose and to some extent the end of the world like he's presented as like just the Doctor like quite a, mm. a lot of character and that's just a massive mask to cover up actually what's going on underneath so I suppose yeah. you yeah but in this there's no sense of the darkness at all like at all Oh, I, I, I certainly didn't feel it anyway. When I was... it's, it's yeah, it's it's not. There's a scene where he talks about not trusting people, which I there was a flash of it for me. But you're right. There's 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 not much because even when they're talking about the the nodes and how this has come from the, basically from the time war, all he says at the end in the last episode is he just says, "Oh, this is from a long dead race." I think that's that's part and of it, that's, isn't it? It's, that's it. It's, he's just not talking about it at all, is he? That's yeah. It's too painful. He's just saying no. It's a long dead race. He never says the word Time Lord or Gallifrey or anything like that. Which yeah, which I prefer as well to the you know some of the later TV incarnations of doing those elevator pitches of I'm the Doctor. I'm from Gallifrey and the Constellation of Cerberus, and I've done this, and I'm this. I'm 900 years old. <laughs> like, this this is better, isn't it? It's just saying yeah, it's oh, a long dead race. It, it that sort of the god thing, you know, got a bit out of hand, didn't it? You know, like the the lonely god out in the universe, you know, with the weight of what he's done on his shoulders, but. When you think about series one, Chris Reckleson, like the, the, it was a unique incarnation that in that he was war torn and he was quite dark. If you take all that away, as they kind of do in this, surely he's just like your bog standard doctor now. I think one of the things I struggled with with this is. Some people might say it's a good thing. I'm not so sure. Is they do nothing to reintroduce the character. There's no, like you say, there's no big speech. There's no uh, reboot, relaunch. There's no sort of like, oh, you know, someone giving exposition about who he is. The the first story starts with the end of the first story. (laughs) They're already mid-adventure. And you're just like... Okay, you know, and I was sat there thinking maybe there'll be a reference to Rose. Maybe there'll be, you know, we'll we'll find out where this fits into the chronologically. And there's nothing. This it's just literally we're going straight into the cliffhanger from the end of the first episode at the beginning of the first episode. And I just just like right. I think it, it quite soon in the first episode that we do get the meeting with the new companion Nova, where yeah. she's learning about him. 
but it's much it's just much more mysterious and I like that uh, uh, he's, he's just on the doctor then she finds out he's a time traveller and, and that's all she ever really finds out about him in this one so I, I like that side of it um, mm. I think Although, she's let's park that for a second this is nearly three hours long three hours long and all we find mm. out about the doctor is he's the doctor <laughs> I expect a little more from the runtime, and not to kind of go ahead but with Nova as well like what did we learn about her in three hours very little of substance anyway and she ends up with her memory of the the preceding three hours wiped out yeah (laughs) which is always an odd choice isn't it (laughs) it's kind of like okay we've had three episodes for you to work on your relationship together we get to the end of the third episode and that's gone and he's like do you want to come with me and she's like, who are you? <laughs> and because of like, the scattershot nature of the plotting, I couldn't get a handle on this relationship. Because like, you do see it from like when they first meet to the end of the story. But obviously it's all told out of order. So I, was just, I, I, I just wasn't by... And also I, I had a bit of difficulty with the chemistry between the actors as well. But because of the nature of how the story was told... Like, you think about Rose. Yeah, think about how Rose started all from her point of view. And it was a nice, simple story, all from her point of view. And it was basically like the whole Auton invasion thing is like a side story, isn't it? Yeah. Things is about building the relationship between the Doctor and Rose. Whereas that kind of wasn't the case here. This was very, very plot-heavy. I, I thought I thought his relationship with Audrey was better than his relationship with Nova, even though that was kind of like a... River Song esque, out of sync, you know. Oh, we've had this conversation, have we? Oh, well, we're going to have this conversation in about ten years' time. But don't worry, you'll be a ghost by then. And it's kind of like what? Telling the River Song story again is Nick Briggs is not Stephen Moffat, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) And like just just the idea, a villain called Audrey. Every time I heard that name, I was like, that is such a bizarre choice for it. I was thinking of Ulrich from Coronation Street. I thought she was very good, though. Um, and the when they first meet and she's pretending to be something, like the way she puts on a northern accent to, mm. um, to sort of disguise herself, she looks like, oh, well, he's going he's gonna to respond to another northerner. Um, and at first I was like, is that Maxine Peake? When she does the Yorkshire accent, when she's speaking to him, mm. I thought she sounded exactly um, like Maxine Peake. I thought, oh, no, it would have been, there'd have been more publicity around that signing, surely. Um, but yeah, they've got a good chemistry. Um, it's sort of quite flirty at times, and there's some quite quick back and forth, isn't there, between them that's, uh, that, that's quite good. But isn't, like, at the end of the story, it's, it, it's kind of revealed that she's not really the villain. She's she's someone who's like terrified at the fate of the universe. But at parts of the story, she's portrayed as a villain. So yes. I'm, like, I'm so confused. Are you bad or are you not? She's the big reveal at the end of episode one, where it's like, oh, by the way, <laughs> I'm the baddie. You know, she's just been semi flirting with him for a few, for a few, you know five minutes, and then suddenly she's like, oh, haven't you guessed who I am? And I, I was just like, I think I guessed at the beginning of the episode when you first appeared. But then the twist is that she's not the villain. It, it, it's the doctor that screwed things up, try because he didn't trust her. 
Uh, and there was a big, there's a theme about trust because later on you've got the bit where Nova's with the drones and the doctor's gone back in the time, Eddie, and they won't respond because they say they're keyed to his voice, but they recognise her and he's like, oh, she trust, he trusted me. But he doesn't trust Audrey and she doesn't trust him. And, it, and, and as the timelines end up coming back together at the end, that's when they work together and you realise that actually she's, she's not the villain. She's been trying to save the universe from, you know, from the ravages. But it, that sort of overly theatrical way that villains... Yes. Talk. Maybe if she didn't talk to him in that way, he might have trusted her and this whole thing would have been over about two hours. Yeah. Because yeah. she had to it's be very careful. It's a whole conversation where he's going, can I ask you a question? She's like, I can't tell you anything. I'm not allowed <laughs> to say anything. And he's like, uh, how many sugars do you have in your tea? How many do I have in what? And it's just like, oh, could have been over in 60 minutes. <laughs> They just, just trusted each other. I think you're kind. I think it could have been over in 30 with the amount of plot that was here. <laughs> I, I, the thing I quite like about this sort of the longer form storytelling, and I like some of the, the first and second Doctor stuff that they've done recently, that's, um, where they've, they've done it over a number of episodes and, and it's quite long, is the way the char- some of the, the side characters where you've got um, like Captain Halloran and uh, mm. Lieutenant Faraday. And Marcus Aurelius, who they they appear in the first one, and then they, you briefly pick up with them in the second episode, and then they're still on the board to to come back into it in the third one. So you've got those bits and pieces that um, that keep it interesting. And the thing about Nova is, you know, she's she's got these these little pieces of knowledge and these little leaps of intuition that make you think that she knows more. And mm. I thought because she was called Nova and the the monsters live in a supernova that she was going to be in some way connected to them, uh, that she was going to be like a human form of them or something like that. Um, and then the twist at the end that she is just a science fiction nerd and that's why she's comfortable with time travel and she's familiar with some of the concepts, I thought was really was really nice. I'm going to keep my mouth shut because <laughs> my head was in my hands at that point. You didn't? <laughs> She's just watched a lot of Star Trek, and that's why she knows the conventions of the story. <laughs> I thought the twist was going to be that she was going to turn out to be Avon from Blake Seven because it was a, it was a terrific <laughs> anagram. <laughs> that would have been amazing. amazing. Just to imagine. They remind me of you know it's in Scream. Like Scream's the only kind of horror movie where people are aware that horror movies exist and that they're familiar mm. with the tropes and things of it. So. It's been done before, hasn't it? That was done with Izzy in the comic strips. She was a, a big science fiction fan, wasn't she? So, and she'd be making like references left, right, and centre. I mean, even like, even Rose says, "Give me some Spock." Oh yeah. <laughs> so there's this this Star Trek references. She in does there not strike me as your average Star Trek fan. No. <laughs> but the her favourite um, TV series is Professor X. That's from the New Adventures, isn't it? That was a sort of analog for. For it was. That, yeah. I think. Yeah. Is it Nightshade? Is that what that was mm-hmm. from? Yeah. Yeah, that's a bit that's a bit weird where he's like going, You're a nerd. Yes. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you you definitely didn't say that at London Film and Comic Con. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was taking it very personally. I'm like, yeah, what a bit. You know? <laughs> uh, so yeah, so so what did you make of the the timey wimey overly complicated plot 
Okay. I think there's a very good reason why Rusty Davis did not start Christopher Eccleston's time with an enormous, like, you know, non-linear, uh, full of exposition. Uh, <laughs> this is now the first Christopher Eccleston story, isn't it? Like, if you're going to include the spin-off material, this is where it all starts. Yeah. I, I felt like... Okay, this isn't the first time Nick Briggs has done this. He did it before in a big finish called Creatures of Beauty, way back in, like, the first 50. And it's the best thing he's ever written, Creatures of Novice, Creatures of Beauty. It was a really clever story that led up to, like, a really dramatic twist that, oh, wouldn't you know, the Doctor was behind it all along. Um, so I'm not saying he's recycling his own material, but maybe I am saying that. Um, but it was really tight. It was an hour and a half. It was really tight. It was very dramatic. And they had lots of lots of fantastic... This was not that. This was three hours of exposition, plot dumps, and, like, insane diversions with just random elements to fill three hours. You, I think you honestly could have the first... 20 minutes of this story and the last 10 minutes and that was vital and everything in between was just a lot of running around and a lot of sort of overcome mm. story the whole the doctor goes back to 1959 and finds a, an ancient tribe fighting british soldiers that was that really I, I know it was kind of like part of me was thinking I'd love to see this I'd love to see it on the, on the TV screen some of the some of the stuff that you know the, the visualization of the time eddies and things like that I, I was like I, I'd love to see that you know and, and some of these scenes but in the context of the wider story I didn't think it was it was a, it was a diversion not a subplot if you know, if there were elements of it that that interwove even more, great. But the scene where they're all in the TARDIS, all talking over each other, and the Doctor's like, "Shut up!" You know, it it reminded me of of Bill and Ted, you know, Excellent Adventures, where at the end they've got all the all the sort of like famous people throughout time, and they're on their way to the stage show, and they're just like trying to keep order, because because it was kind of like. Why are they there? <laughs> what, what, what actual benefit did they get? You know, I mean, poor old uh, you know, Dan Starkey, not you know, really not playing to type as a warrior. Um, it's just left dangling outside the TARDIS because <laughs> Nova opens the door and he runs out. One of those Jodie Whittaker episodes, that, you know, with those massive cars where she just takes everyone in the whole like One of those Peter Davison stories, like Awakening, where everyone yeah. just on for the ride. No one's shocked yeah. at all about the inside of the TARDIS. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, I think maybe... There was a lot of fluff, wasn't there? A lot of mm. fluff. I think casting, you're right about casting Dan Starkey in a role that was very similar to Strax in terms that he just kept talking about like strategy and battles quite yeah. a lot. And he didn't change his voice enough because he, he is... Very dexterous with his voice. There's some some roles you hear on Big Finish, and um, he's hard to recognise. But he mm. played that very similar to Strax. Um, but I think, given that the story was where Audrey's, you know, part of Audrey's plan was moving people from one time zone to another, I do feel like you need to see that, and it's not just kind of uh, just exposition that's describing something that's happening. Um, and it's quite quite vivid to I think to think of Roman legionaries in the middle of London. Um, but I did wonder if, because they're all soldiers as well, and mm. I thought it was interesting the way that this doctor 
reacted to, to other military types because obviously a lot of earlier and later doctors are very dismissive of uh, the military and, and soldiers and the mindset and everything. Whereas the ninth doctor, and maybe this is him just coming off the time war, he's fairly um, he's, he's fairly kind to them in a way. Even when he pops into Waterloo and <clears> the, the guy's going to battle and he, he's just sort of like, you know, best of luck to you and and that type of thing. And then even when he's uh, when he's having a bit of a pop at the, the British Army soldier, he says, oh, he's a mildly incompetent officer, but he does his best. Yeah. Um, I th- yeah, I thought it was interesting that the other characters were soldiers, given, mm. given that we know that this is immediately post-Time War and he's not as damning as he often is. You did, uh, you mentioned some dialogue there, and I, I need to talk about the dialogue in this story. <laughs> Go on. So, I feel like if you're going to write dialogue, yeah, mm-hmm. say it out loud. And if it sounds natural, then keep it in, yeah? I don't think any of this script was read out loud, any of it. And there was a lot of very clunky dialogue, like that I would expect from a complete newbie to Big Finish and not somebody that's written, you know, 20 stories a year for the last 20 years. I would expect someone to have honed their craft at this point. And people are saying things like, you know, what's that shiny bit of tech making that noise? Like, oh, yeah. Talks like that. What are you, my therapist? Is there a bill to pay at the end of this? I'm going to release an enormous pulse of temporal energy from the TARDIS to activate that gizmo. It's all oh, it was. What are you, some sort of security robot or something oh. as well? It's just, oh, just it's like, like, oh, my God. Suffering security robot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of thing that, that people criticise the sort of Jodie Whittaker for doing all the time. It's like, oh, you know, the exposition. And it, it is very, yeah, I, I do get what you mean. It's, it's very much, oh, my God, look at this. And yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it's it's I, one of the things people really criticise Big Finish for right at the beginning. There was stories like Winter for the Adept where it's like, oh, my God, something's floating in the air. It's coming towards me, you know. <laughs> and that's fine. They, they were in their early stages then, so that's absolutely fine. They were trying to figure out how to do this. This is a seasoned audio writer. There's one line here from Audrey uh, where she was like, you know, here's something to really stoke up your moral scruples. Prepare to feel high and mighty up there on your high ground. Like, (laughs) who talks like that? (laughs) Even in science fiction where, you know, your imagination can fly. And I think with audio, like the dialogue is your way in. It's not mm. so much the production, it's it's how people use dialogue to explore ideas, you know. And if the dialogue is is this and stilted, and, well, the ideas are a little lacking as well. I'm so sorry, I'm being really savage. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's it's a tricky thing to engage with. I, I kept thinking, this is, this is something that's written rather than I'm listening to a story. Yeah, the, some of the, I mean, the, the dialogue he has with, with Audrey gets repeated. So you, you get it out of context and then you get it in context. But it, this, there are so many points where I was just like, I've just listened to five minutes of someone telling me what's going on. But then the next scene deletes the previous one because they've they've amended something or the time's changed. And you're just like, well, what, why did I need to know this? 
if that's now not <laughs> happened? <laughs> well, you always <laughs> know, why did we need to know Nova if the entire story was going to be deleted? Yeah. Do you get to the end and you know all the way through the doctor's like how do you know that how do you know about time travel how do you know about this how do you and and and, uh, i wanted there to be a secret reveal i wanted there to be you know she turns around and you know something has happened previously but in the end she just goes who are you I went, just like, no. I went, when Audrey was shown not to be the villain, I was like, okay, now it's time for Nova to step up and say, yeah. I was behind <laughs> this all along, rip off a mask and be the Rani or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> that I, I would have woken up for. At, at one point, I really did think that all the chatting in episode one, I thought uh, Audrey might turn out to be the Rani or Missy or yeah, just, just, you know, just as a hideous... You know, uh, we've rewritten the history of Doctor Who by introducing Missy in, in, in Christopher Eccleston. Just uh, yeah, go on. Every time they they announce that there's going to be like a big female guest star in the new series, someone leaps on it. It's the Rani. Like, yeah. It's never going to be the Rani. Go. <laughs> there was a while they thought Donna was going to be uh, going to be the Rani. I remember for ages it was like, oh, was you know, I'm there for that. <laughs> So <laughs> oh. yeah, the dialogue was a bit of a. There was an exchange. This, I think, this was the worst exchange in the whole thing, where um, the doctor's like, you know, I don't remember the doctor ever sounding this crass in series one, and he's like, you know, those creatures, there's your posh aliens, and she's like, <laughs> oh, do you still believe they're CGI, doctor? And I'm like, oh god, like. Mm. I've had some pretty awful conversations in my life, but I've never had a conversation as awful as that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I feel like those, the, some of those lines like that that you mentioned, like the when they talk about the rich, rich posh aliens, and then mm-hmm. when he's talking to the army officers about the Romans, and he says, "Oh, they're, they're not. We don't know what language they're speaking." And he says, um, "Posh boy like you don't recognize that." That's very much playing into the Eccleston's. Um, yeah. you know, kind of proudly working class kind of roots and the, and the way he plays the Doctor, isn't it? I can't imagine probably any other Doctor, maybe Jodie Whittaker saying mm-hmm. that, like, um, you know, kind of posh boy like you sort of thing. Um, I thought that was interesting, the way they, they, they played on that a bit. Don't think Eccleston is as mank as he was on TV. I think he's really softened that. I don't think... <laughs> It's, it's I much, wondered what you meant then. Sorry, yeah, um, he's not as mank. He's not as mancunian. Sorry, <laughs> I know um, what you mean now. <laughs> he he was it was it was exaggerated from his normal speaking voice. Whereas I think mm. playing it for Big Finish, he's playing it much closer to his normal speaking voice. I thought he felt like a lot lighter in this, like mm. he light. And you know, I'm going to say something positive now, so hold on to your hands. Um, he was heroic in this. I mean, given the obstacles he had to overcome, i.e., the script, he like whenever he opened his mouth, I was completely on board. I think, like, I thought there was no point where I didn't feel like he was completely engaged with this story, and really likable, really fun. And yeah, you I, can't say that in, in series one, can you? Like, yeah, because the stuff I don't like in series one is is how awful he is with Mickey. And then there's bits and pieces like um, you know when that little kid draws the bad wolf graffiti on the side of the TARDIS, and he's like, "Do that again, and I'll have ya." And, <laughs> 
He's in the room. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm um, stealing your thunder with the impressions there a bit, George. Sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, he just, I don't know, I just didn't really feel like the doctor just like threatening a small child like that. Um, and I suppose there's a way, there could have been a way of delivering that that would have been a bit more kind of jokey like, you know. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, he's not as spiky and brittle, I think, in this as he, as he was uh, at those times in, in the TV series. I did, I did, I was just sat there listening to it thinking, I can't believe it's been 15 years because it feels like yesterday. And, and um, I, was, I was talking recently on sort of a phantom recording I did around Paul McGann and the, the gap between Paul McGann, the movie, and the one, you know, when he came back for the mini episode for the 50th. And it was like he'd never been away. It was it was just like, oh, my God, you could still be the Doctor. You could still have your own series. And that is exactly how I felt about um, Christopher Eccleston. As soon as I heard his voice, I was like, I want another season with you in it. You know, and you, you're right. He, Even though the script is a, a, a bit of a bag of spanners at times, he just does it, and he does it with delight. You, you can hear it in his voice that he's, you know... He's probably read it and went, not used, you know, not sure about that. But he's he's delivered it, you know, as the doctor, and it's so much fun. You know, he's got comedy moments. He's not got as many dark moments. You're right. He's not. I said about the the time war baggage. He's not got that. But it's some of it is really tongue in cheek as well. Some of it's like I've got to say this line, but I've got to say this line in a way. I want to say it. No, I felt that a lot of the time. He wasn't so much fighting the dialogue, which was pretty poor, but he was like, okay, how can I salvage this? I'm going to yeah. make this dialogue sound good. I mean, that just shows you what a good actor he is. It's a, the bit where he was flirting with, this, with the security guards. Oh, my. You know, and, and, and although, oh, yes, okay, you can, you can cringe, but it, it, it was genuinely funny, and it was referenced again later on. But, it, you know, it... it, it I just thought it was funny. Did you? I, I, I was like, okay, he's talking to the doctor. He's not talking to Nova. Yeah. Drop the gag. Drop the gag. No, it went on and on and on and on and on. I was like, there we go. <laughs> but he, but he, but he's, you know, that that comes out later on. You know, when he, when Rose is talking about Jack and you know and 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 how he's very, he's flirting with both of them. But here you've got it, and, and, and Chris Eccleston just so naturally just goes, yeah, you know, I'm going to go meet him for whatever it was. I can't remember the word. It was something ridiculous. Something like that, yeah. Sure, Made up see. word. But he, he, he just plays along with it. And isn't it great? He's, he's kind of like the most overtly masculine doctor as well. Mm. So for him to be so comfortable with that, with no sense of, like, gay panic at all. Yeah. Not... Um, so, you know, even things like that, I... I was smiling. Some of it I wasn't smiling, but it's like that. I was smiling at, at the at the way that he he did that. Do you reckon, um, like with this first one, they can kind of get away with a lot of goodwill of Chris Brexton just being back? So like people are so happy that he's back. They'll be like, okay, it can be it can be a load of shit. But Christopher Preston's back, and that's amazing. I'm going to enjoy that, and then you know we'll have a better second album. Because I've seen the writers for the next set. It looks impressive. It does, and you know, in my opinion, much better writers. Interestingly, 
I, I don't. I don't know whether I should say this or not. I'm going to say it. Um, I really felt like like they had a chance. They had like a chance with Ravagers to really make an impact because Chris Chris Evans back, and that's a massive deal that's been well publicised. So what they should like look around, see like who are our best writers, who who gets the best feedback, and then draw them in, get them to write this script, and absolutely fly off the ground. Mm. And it didn't happen. And that's you, a bizarre choice. Do you think, though, there might have been a risk that they got him back, gave him the best writers, and it felt flat? And then they're kind of like, where can we go with it? I mean, they, they got him back and, and they, they got... They did. They, they, they got, got him back. and it, it, it fell flat, so I guess that wasn't the best approach either. <laughs> I suppose um, Nicholas Briggs is the person that he's got the pre-existing relationship with um, from them actually working together on Series 1 as well, so you don't know mm. how much um, they did that to... Because I think Nick Briggs directed this as well, I think I'm right in saying, so it how did. much he kind of eased him into it in terms of a familiar face being around as well. Because what... Uh, one of the really nice things on here, if you guys listen to the the making of, there's a really good chunky hour long making yes. of um, thing. There's some really nice bits and pieces on there of <clears throat> them reminiscing a little bit about working together um, and the stuff that I didn't know about Christopher Eccleston's dad being very ill during the filming of it and and you know what that kind of meant to him. I'll tell you what, I'm not being deliberately facetious now. That's not the first time the uh, bonus material has been more enjoyable than the story on a big finish release. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it was a great, it was a terrific interview. Mm. Like, mm. You know, and, and Nick Briggs has a way. Like he does, um, he does interviews. Uh, he did the Colin Baker, uh, mm. I can't it's called now um, and he's done a couple of them where he's interviewed actors about and he has a really personable way of mm. bringing out like great stories from people and really interesting stuff so yeah he did the Colin Baker at 70 and the Tom Baker at 80 release <clears> I think yeah they're both fantastic yeah and like you can just you can feel the relationship as well I think that's like the best interviews isn't it where it's like two friends hanging out and someone's just spilling all their secrets <laughs> One of the things where I, I felt like this does fit well with series one is that kind of pessimism about the future of humanity, the way, um, you know, the future set stories in series one, you've got the, the long game and the sort of bad wolf and everything where, uh, you know, people are sort of, they've, the way that entertainment is so important to them because their lives are a bit shit really. So, mm. the, um, you know, all those like uh, reality TV shows that they've got in, in bad wolf, or the um, you know the news feed stuff that's in the long game and the um, you know the stuff get, um, getting beamed directly into their heads and this was all about immersive reality, which is is kind of because all that VR stuff is is becoming more popular in the real world as well. Um, but yeah, this is very much like the people on this uh, ironically named uh, Freedom Sphere, isn't it? It's called or the Sphere of yeah. Freedom. But they're all like kind of just indentured slaves who don't get paid. They just get a roof over their heads and food, just as a way of living. And the way of escaping that is is through through playing these immersive reality games. So that that this, felt like it fit quite well with series one stuff. But this is actually the first time he's really on an alien planet because in in yeah in his season. He was either on Earth or around Earth. He was like on a space station 
above Earth. It never actually got to go to an alien world, whereas he does, you know, and and it goes to several in this story, you know, uh, in the course of it. So I I think it's, again, you know, having him back as the Doctor and having him off-world and doing new adventures, great. I simply wish that it wasn't as complicated for the first one as this. I would have almost have liked three separate stories with a story arc rather than this huge, complicated, jigsaw puzzle, timey-wimey thing that we got. And don't get me wrong, I don't hate it. I think we were saying earlier on, I'm kind of in the middle with it. I think there's things I do like about it and concepts I like about it. I just think that the way it, it comes across, I've had to listen to it twice to understand some of the dialogue and, and how the how the dialogue works in the in the concept of it. Um, and I still think if I was if I hadn't known he was the doc, if I'd not watched season one and this was my first experience of the Christopher Eccleston Doctor, I'm not quite sure what I would have made of it, even though his performance is amazing. Do you think anybody will have that experience, though? Because the big finish is for pre-existing fans, really, isn't it? It's hard to imagine anybody... I thought you were going to say younger fans, then. I thought you were going to say younger <laughs> fans. I mean, big finish, like, it's, it's, it's all about nostalgia, isn't it? It is, yeah. um, I think, like, right back at the beginning there was a lot more innovation and a lot uh, they were trying to explore a lot of things but now it's like what can we do a sequel to that's kind of like where they are mm. in their latter years um so i don't think do you think anyone's coming to this like oh wow a chris Rexon audio i never saw him on tv i'm gonna pick that up mm. probably not but like what you were saying there about this being like enjoyable it was enjoyable because i think big finish are just too good at this now they, they, they've been doing this a long time. Their output is, like, I don't think I've got enough hours in my life left to go back and listen to the the entire library of Big Finish Adventures. There's so much out there. They know what they're doing. They know how to make this, you know, serviceable at worst with the production and with yeah. the performances and even if the script is lacking. Um, something you just said there, Mark, about how... Um, the, the media element of this, that really confused me because it seems to be like flaunting the idea that there's like this, um, a game that's corrupt, isn't it? That's, that's bad. And there's this evil corporation, a corporation that are like creating it. So there, there seems to be like a, a big criticism of that brewing. But at every stage of the story, the doctor was going, but I'm not against computer games and I'm not against people playing them. <laughs> that's a really and that's a really mixed message. Like if this was Rusty Davis writing this, he would have been savage. If he had a point to make about something like this, he would just go for it. Whereas I, I was just like, what point are you trying to make about the computer game industry? But he but he was against slavery because, uh-huh. you know, that was the you know thing that he managed to to get shoehorned at the end. Yeah. <laughs> like, did he say that? Did he actually say those words? <laughs> I'm not sure he says exactly that, but he says, I want you to end, you know, so the, the minimum wage and the, the poor conditions and yeah. build your utopia, basically. I feel like that's something that should never be ambiguous. <laughs> Something's <laughs> against slavery. <laughs> 
I was a bit concerned uh, that um, where the doctor stands on GDPR regulation with all his um, capturing people's DNA and, and storing it and, yeah. and using it to track them down. Anyone who touches the TARDIS, anyone who comes near the sonic screwdriver, yeah. you know, anyone who looks at him funny in a bar. I mean, <laughs> how does this work? <laughs> I mean, God knows where he could have ended up. <laughs> Did you notice how many times the word thingy was used? Like, they, mm. the, the sonic screwdriver was called a thingy. The paper was called a thingy. Like, I was oh, like, it's, oh, yeah, it was called the silly paper as well. <laughs> Actually, that made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, where's your silly paper? And a psychic paper. Silly paper. <laughs> <laughs> Can you guys explain one thing to me, though? Okay, so... Mm. The climax of this, sorry, spoilers for anyone who hasn't listened to this shit, but why are you listening to this if you haven't listened to this shit? Um, the Ravagers are addicted to their own fear pheromones. Yes. Now, I want you to explain to me an ecosystem where that is a possibility. Like, that is the most bizarre biological trait I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, so they were addicted to the fear pheromone that was released when they saw other people being scared. <laughs> they, well, they, so they were, they were in a, <laughs> so they but, scared themselves but in, into in the, addiction. But in the game, weren't they playing those people? Was that not the the immersive reality element of it? Was they were they were playing those people, and that was why they were scared. That, that was what I interpreted it as. Well, the fact that we can't reach a, a definitive conclusion there is just it was a little. Bit. <laughs> but it I mean, was, yeah, I mean, it was a twist, wasn't it? It was that was like the, the, there was two twists, wasn't it? It was like the, the Audrey wasn't a villain, and the judges yeah. were just weren't paying yeah. a biological need. They sounded a bit like the the, the Gelf. Oh, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Pity the ravages. <laughs> we just want the sweetness. <laughs> I wonder if I'll see them again. I wonder if they'll get like a, a, a sequel. Ravages too. It was a bit Russell T. Davis at the end where he just suddenly went, Oh, I know, let's just get a computer game, loop it, and add a few extra bits to it, and it solved the whole problem. It's like, okay. So what? When that hit, I was like, I've just sat through three hours. That <laughs> <laughs> they can go off and scare each other into their addiction oblivion. It's fine. <laughs> I'll tell you what. If, they, if they're addicted to fear, they need to go and listen to this audio. They'll be bloody scared. I'll tell you what. That will feed them forever. So, it off now. Oh, it, it, yeah. I, I, and then you sort of go. Oh. What, how are they sort of devouring the universe if it's just fear? You know, is it just, they just scare people and then just go, oh, I'm a bit hungry now, so I'm going to devour another planet? <laughs> well, and that, there was one point where the doctor goes, um, you know, the whole of reality is at stake. You know, I think he mentioned that a few times. Yeah. But the trouble is, it's Big Finish released 10 stories a month where five of them, the whole of reality is at stake. That's kind of <laughs> lost his edge now. I've got to the point where I'm like, well, maybe reality really isn't going to like tip over a cliff in this. You kind of <laughs> promise that every week. But it, but it did end, didn't it? Because it literally, he was like standing there going, so how, yeah, the, I think it was in part two where he was like, so how long have we got? And she was like, five or it's like the Thunderbirds beginning. <laughs> and he was like, back to the TARDIS. 
So you say that Nick Briggs destroyed the entire universe? He did. I knew that was coming, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, it was all this sort of, you know, timey-wimey. If we, you know, if we trace back the inverted time wave back to before the beginning of time, and I, by that point, I was kind of like... Did you get lost? Plotting? Like, did you get lost I, where you were? I, I got lost. Uh, I have to confess. I mean, I, watched, I, I listened to the first part, which it was kind of a loop of its own. And then when I listened to the second and third part, I just trying to concentrate, but I kept losing where we were. And, and the, you know, the, the bits of the doctor was talking through the node to, to um, Audrey. That's something that's happened or not happened yet. And then I, had, I did have to listen to part two and three again, just to, in my head, get the, the, the sequence of things as they happen. Um which helped a little bit, but it was still kind of, all right, yeah, I've got questions now. <laughs> there are like very skillful fans out there. You know someone's going to pull this story apart and then put it in the right order. And then yeah. we can, that'll be on YouTube one day and we can listen to it. Like, like the River Song storyline, someone did yeah. that. I mean, we've done we, we've done Time Lord Victorious, quite a few of those stories where we were suddenly, you know, ahead of three stories and yeah. going, what the hell happened? You know, what, how we got to here and what happened to this bit? And why is he now in a Dalek spaceship? But, you know, <laughs> at least that, you, you know, you, you know, there's stories in between. With this, it was like, is this still the same story? <laughs> <laughs> it could have been like, it could have been half the length. So, you know, I, I I think I read someone wrote that literally, like within 15 minutes, if the, if the doctor had just gone back right to this sort of start and stopped something, the whole thing could have unraveled. It was, you know, or if Audrey had just in that first sort of flirty conversation where she revealed she was the villain, just turned around and said, actually, I'm not the villain. <laughs> I've been trying to save the universe and you came along and ballsed it up. We would have been over in one episode. Did you hear that flirtatious dialogue? I'm truly hoping in a convention that Nick Briggs never flirts with me. <laughs> in the third part, though, <clears throat> I started to enjoy myself in the third part. And I thought I felt like like the plot really didn't matter anymore. Like, it was mm. kind of being sewn up. And it felt like Nick Briggs was having a bit of fun in the third part. Like, the bit with the guard and, you know... Yeah. And all the people in the TARDIS, and yeah, I think I'm trying to be kind here. Okay, <laughs> I think I completely agree. It it does bear a second listen to to get it all yeah. straight in your head. But that's quite nice if you're you know if you're paying out for this stuff that you you want it to to have some longevity like that as well to to be able to listen to it again. Because I've bought the vinyls of this, uh, so. Uh, it's um, you know I'm pleased that you know, if I can listen to them again, and I imagine you'll get a lot more out of it on on subsequent listens like that. The whole drones thing as well, that got lost on me. So, you know, Nova's on a planet which is full of drones, which I I wrote the drones drone on a bit because they really do. It's like... <laughs> and you're just like, oh, I can't be bothered to listen to any more of this. Um, you know, he turns up a rescue show, takes one of them with him, and then it's it just sat in the TARDIS for another episode. She kicks it and then goes, oh, yeah, we've got a drone. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, another make plot twist, up. the drones actually make it worse. And you're, you're just like, oh. 
All right then. It's like that microwave in um, resolution. Oh, in the, yeah. <laughs> well, it's in the time. Oh, it's it's got a microwave. Use it, you know. <laughs> or like the doctor's hand. You know, just put the doctor's hand underneath the underneath the TARDIS console. It'll come in handy some point. Um, the cigar in. Um, oh, the ghost monument. The ghost monument. That's the one. Mm-hmm. And the guy's got. I've got a self-lighting cigar. You just need to click your fingers. Uh, that's yeah. uh, kind of seeded very early on. Uh, yeah. Just, just waiting to come in handy as well. Yeah. <laughs> Not think why I forgot about that one. You know. <laughs> <laughs> So it's interesting to see whether Nova, I think, stays on for, for, you know, for the full kind of run of box sets, whether she's the sort of permanent companion. One thing I do like about Big Finish is the way they're not hidebound to have a contemporary Earth companion in the way that the TV series always is. Mm. That's nice because she's going to have relatable sort of experiences. You know, she's a bit like Rose in terms of coming from uh, a job that she doesn't really like that's you know, and they're kind of not really using her full potential or stimulating her very much. Um, that, you know, she's looking for more out of life and a bit of adventure. So she's got that sort of similar similar side to her to Rose. But yeah, I thought it'd be interesting to see whether she, he has a number of companions over the next, I think it's four initial box sets, isn't there? Or whether she stays mm. for all of them. Because he does say at the very end, he says, I know where you want to go. So you, you're assuming she will certainly be in the next yeah. story, whether she stays with him in that story, you know. Well, um, I, I took but, that to um, be a parent that he was going to take her to see because that had been, she'd been sent away from her parents. It, this was like her best shot was this kind of in, indentured service program where she became uh, this, this slave chef. Yeah, because he promised her a better life, didn't he? There was a bit where he said, you know, I've never broken a promise like that. And I was thinking, oh, poor Linda with a Y again. <laughs> I haven't broken a promise like that yet. Yeah, yeah not yet. I never break a promise. Just you wait. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I didn't think about the parents, actually. But you're right. There was quite a lot of, um, you know, mentioned snippets of them. So um but he he did keep saying I promised her I would, you know, give her a better life or somewhere better to live. I think it was so could well be. Have you guys um have you guys listened to like a, a lot of Big Finish over the last twenty years? Yeah. So I'm slowly getting there. I'm not I'm not as experienced as, as Mark, but uh, he's 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 been getting me to listen to a few. <laughs> I've I've essentially up until about a year and a half ago. Um, hence my tone for a lot of this. I kind of stopped because I couldn't afford it anymore, basically. Mm. Um, but I've, I've, I've kind of reviewed a lot of them. And um, the, with the companions, like companion introduction stories, you've got your Evelyn Smythes and you've got your Eremems and you've got your Hexes, really memorable from the off. And you know who these people are from the off. And then on the other hand, you've got like your Bliss... You know, I still don't know who she is. I'm four boxes in. Um, <laughs> I kind of think Nova falls into that category as well of just being a bit empty and a bit like ticking a lot of boxes, you know, rather than being a, a really unique. Like, I, I, I need to hear more of this character again. Like, yeah. I, I think it's a shame they wiped out everything she'd done. Because I liked the idea that she was, you know, she was clever. She was getting things before the doctor, you know, there was a point where the doctor was like, I was about to say that. And I and I liked that. 
but it was kind of like at the end they kind of reset it. So I'm hoping when they, you know, she's in the next story, we see that again, that she's actually very smart, very intuitive, you know, this sci-fi nerd who just gets things mm. without, you know, sometimes the companion's job is to say, oh, Doctor, what's that? You know, um, I yeah. always think of, the, there was a sketch I think Harry Hill did with um, Perry where he just basically took every time Perry asked a question based on what the doctor said and it just made it look like she was constantly repeating <laughs> what what uh, Colin Baker said. Um, uh, but sometimes it's that the companions are a bit like that. They're a bit sort of like, I'm just here to ask the question because the, the audience member can't. Well, I felt with her, she was one step ahead. She was like, oh, so this is because of this. And the doctor was like, yeah, how do you know that? And I liked that. And I think it's a shame if that is, is not going to be in the next story. Even even if her memory of the story has been wiped out, I still think she needs that that um, in, you know intelligence. Mm. If that's how you felt about Nova losing her memory at the end of this, you must have been devastated at the end of Journey. Don't don't, don't get no. I still cry. Okay, <laughs> yeah, me too. Donna, Donna was my favourite. Oh, mine too. Oh, um, it just you know the, her 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 growth, her transformation, everything through that series is is so beautifully acted out and realised. And then at the end, oh, I'm going to go tear up. Uh, but no, it, it it is you know at the end it's mortifying. And, and and there was a little bit of that with Nova. I was just like three hours worth of adventure. Yeah, and you can't remember that you know at the end of the well, the very beginning of the first episode, you were literally just walking out, having you know tried to save the universe, and then you know into a time eddy and thrown in with these drones. But you know that kind of thing. I, I think I want to see how she she continues. I mean, she yeah, she had a lot of agency, didn't she, and a lot of smarts, and she was brave as well. Like, yeah. Again, it was almost like ticking boxes, like that's what you want from a companion. But we don't always get that, so it's kind of good that they they, they made her proactive. I hate that word. Yeah. I'll use it. And I think her parents might feel, I mean, the, the, you know, the sort of reboot of Doctor Who does tend to focus on families, you know, the companions and their families and their relate, you know, um, their relationships. So I think that could be an area where, where we go off to next to to, to look at. Um, and who knows? Maybe she will have some secret reveal at some point. Maybe it? she'll turn out to be Audrey. That whoa, <laughs> oh, and then Audrey will turn out to be the Rani. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I think from from the story itself, the only two things you could extrapolate that the doctor would have guessed where she wanted to go would either be to go back and see her parents, mm. or to go behind the scenes on Professor X. That is that is true. Yeah, <laughs> the next story could be Professor X based. Am I am I misremembering? Did Professor X have a time machine that was disguised as a pillar box? I might be I might be confusing that with something else. I kind of think uh, that might have been his. Uh... Oh, I can't remember. I'm trying to um, to think about it. I thought it was in the Nightshade story. I thought it was the the, the TV <laughs> show in the Nightshade. It potentially um, is. I just thought I thought that was called Nightshade, but I, I it's it's been a long time since I read most of the New Adventures. It travelled in time and space in in a. 
acid. And it was a pillar box. You're right. Oh, oh well remembered. I couldn't remember. Yeah, it was acid. Is that that's an anagram of TARDIS? Then is it? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Nova would turn out to be Professor X then. Um, there's, there, it's mentioned in Conundrum, so the New Adventures story oh, uh, Conundrum. A land of fiction one, isn't it? Conundrum. Yeah, do you remember yeah. that? Fantastic yeah. book. Why aren't we talking about that? I can be positive about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in No Future, oh. then he says that the, the Seventh Doctor looks, it, it reminds her of, of Professor X. That's Paul Cornell, um, isn't it? No Future. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's referenced all over the place. Uh, Return of the Little Living Dad. Another mm-hmm. one. Yeah. So, yeah. The, That's probably the it, only real continuity reference to anything else, in other than the Doctor and the TARDIS. It's probably the only other reference in this this whole story, isn't it? It's, it's fairly yeah, this, uh, untethered. And, and I can see why. You know, mm. I, I do... Because I'm glad in a way that there isn't references to Rose because then you would have been sat there going, well, when did this happen and all of that. So I think what they've done is it's not necessarily a reboot. It's kind of a prequel to to what happened. So they've they've got the ability then to take, you know, the Doctor into new, new worlds, new adventures, new companions without detracting anything from... From later on, I think the only thing would be if they introduced Daleks into any of the audios with that. Yeah, okay. Or like that, you know, that you know, they can't. River do. Song they've had with every Doctor. I bet you they'll find some way to have River Song and the Ninth Doctor together. Like, like River Song was Audrey. Did you not know? I don't want to hijack this, but I've got a question for both of you. Hmm. Okay, because um, I categorically would not have started the range with this script. Uh, how would you start it? How would you, how would you see Christopher Eccleston to an audio series? Oh, that's a good question. See, I, I think based on the time war, sort of things that have happened before, I would see him almost trying to atone for that. So it's sort of kind of being... Uh, you know, going around, and I know that's what the doctors anyway save, save, you know, save everybody. But, but trying to make small differences, uh, a bit like McGann does before the time war. McGann mm. doesn't want to join the time war, so he's trying to fight around the edges. And I think uh, I would have got him to be a bit more damaged because Rose does fix him, you know, through that that season, build up that that damaged where he was again put in positions where he had to choose you know impossible choices and, and see how that played out and, and but that's just me I, I like that sort of more damaged side to him but then subsequent doctors have had darker and damaged sides as well so it's uh, you know I, I can forgive the light fluffy you know more energetic cheerful doctor um but it would be nice to see i think you know the the deliberate thing about not saying time lords that Mm. that to me was was a was a good nod to the fact that 
you know, Russell T. Davis basically wiped out the Time Lords and, you know, in this, in his way to give the Doctor that backstory. So I'm glad that didn't happen. Um, but then I worry that that limits him. So it worries me that they can't do anything Time Lord related necessarily. They can't do anything Dalek related mm. because of his reactions to, you know, the Dalek later on. Um, is so powerful. I wouldn't want them to take anything away from that. And him telling Rose he's the last of the Time Lords and all of that as well, I wouldn't want them to sort of, you know, retcon in. Um, yeah, you don't want him to have a Dalek story and then have his memory wiped or something like that so that to keep... Yeah, because it would be Dalek, a bit cheap definitely. ploy. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree. I don't don't think Big Finish need to release any more Dalek stories. Like, <laughs> so I built a house out of CDs recently. There are that many. And, and they've It'll be coming them. soon. Box set four will be uh, you know, one episode with River Song. There'll be, uh, you know, the, the Roof Doctor. <laughs> Just get the Infinity Doctors in as well versus the Daleks. And then at the end, everyone has their mind wiped. So, <laughs> Some sort of universal reset button that goes back to the beginning. And it's just Nova standing there going, do I know you? <laughs> it's like I have to do that. Every time they bring River Song back with the classic Doctors, at the end, he has to have his mind wiped because obviously they can't reset the silence in the library. So I'm just thinking, mm. why are we doing this story? Like, <laughs> uh, maybe I'm just sick. I don't know. <laughs> But no, going back to um, your, your question, Joe, I think, yeah, I think I thought he would, like you were saying, um, James, he'd be a bit more damaged in terms of he wouldn't be so open to a new companion immediately, that he'd mm. maybe be pushing people away a little bit, um, that, you know, he hasn't really had a companion for a long time when he was the war doctor, um, that he would be a bit more of a loner like that. It's quite, you know anti-humans in a way he keeps talking about stupid apes the way he talks to mickey and, and jackie and you know yes he, he he sees something in rose but he's very dismissive um so i you know i i don't know it's it's it, it's kind of weird that he immediately just goes oh hi nova come on you know let's <laughs> let, let's go um especially, especially saying how he distrusts people but I suppose you have to start a relationship somewhere, don't you? Yeah, and there's a little bit of that with Nova when in that initial pre-title sequence when she's running away having set the device and it doesn't work and she says, I did everything you told me and he goes, I'll just have to take your word for that. Um, mm. There isn't the, yeah, quite quite the level of, of trust and, and goodwill that the other doctors would automatically have. But yeah, and maybe it would have been repeating Rose a little bit, but... I suppose you would generally expect to meet him through the eyes of the companion, um, whereas this is sort of a, uh, meet meet somebody already in the middle of an adventure. Mm. But then it is it is for sort of hardcore Doctor Who fans, isn't it? So there isn't really the necessity to uh, to, to introduce who they are. I reckon uh, both your versions of uh, what they should have been sound better than this. So you're both hired, okay? <laughs> <laughs> what about you, George? You, you have a, a suggestion mm, for this? I would definitely made have made him far more like war torn. I think that that uh, leans into the best of Christopher Eccles. Like his his scenes in Dalek 
uh, I think, uh, the best acting that he did. So I would have made him, I wouldn't have made him so likable. I, I like the fact that he was, and he got a chance to play a Sonny, a doctor. But, um, no, because like if, uh, if, you, if, if you go trad, then you'd have, you know, a whiny fan like me saying, well, it's a bit, you know, another <laughs> traditional big finish story from Doctor, yeah. Mm. Uh, and yeah, if you go like madly experimental, like this, it's like, okay, well, I can see why they didn't start here. I don't think there's a, a good choice to start this. Oh. Um, so maybe maybe it's kind of good that it started on a, let's say average, no, because the only way is up from here. I hope. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you, you can't please Doctor Who fans, that's the... <laughs> that's the, that's the golden rule is yeah. you can't please them all absolutely yeah. not and, and like you said at the beginning there'll be a lot of people that are buying this because it's Christopher Eccleston and absolutely if you're listening to this buy it for Christopher Eccleston because he's bloody amazing however the story isn't but you will just you will just you know I, I could listen to I have listened to it twice uh, I could listen to this again simply for Christopher Eccleston's performance because it's you know, yeah, I remember watching Rose like six times in in like two days because it was like new who it was, it was you know it's like it's back and it's it's great and I'm kind of like that with this so it's, the story's not brilliant however the performance is you know it takes me right back to 2005 and this could have been one of those stories that we didn't really get. I am um, I'm not going to contradict you, but I did yeah. at least an hour and a half's worth of work to pay for this. And so <laughs> I, I was hoping for something with a little more substance. Mm. But I, yeah, they, they've ridden over this well just on like the the goodwill of having Chris Braxton back, which is delightful. Like, I don't think anyone could listen to this and say, oh, what a shame, you know, he's back in Doctor Who. Like, he is terrific in this. Yeah. Episode two is, is just going to be him reading the instructions to a microwave. Oh, That'll be it. That'll be the story. <laughs> <laughs> I'll still be there going, it's Christopher Eccleston. It's Doctor Who. It is, and it feels like um, quite exciting. It feels like the start of a new era of stories for him, and I'm... I'm yeah, I'm I'm excited for the rest of the rest of the run, uh, and hopefully uh, many more years of, of adventures with him to come. Which which doctor do you think that he's going to big finish? Want to see him with first? Oh. There's got to be a they're, they're happy, you know, they'll have isn't it? It isn't episode. <laughs> he must you know they must be like right. How soon can we get him with David Tennant or you know, <laughs> <laughs> with Jodie Whittaker or someone? Imagine Chris Froston and Colin Baker like two bastard doctors. Because he's in the costume that Colin Baker wanted as well, isn't he? That's the other thing. That could yeah. be the story. Like he's literally going after him, trying to get his. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine the sort of David Tennant, sort of um, Peter Davison. You were my doctor moment with Colin. <laughs> 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 
Although, if they do, like, um, they did a Captain Jack one where they put him in Colin Baker's coat. If they did yeah. Photoshop of Chris Frankelston in Colin Baker's coat, I'll pay any money for that. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, it is, it is inevitable that there will be a crossover. There will, there will be some form of crossover at some point. I, I, I could see him with Tom Baker... Yeah, they're, they're rattling out Tom Baker stories, aren't they, at the moment? There's, there's quite a few. The one with um, David Tennant's quite good. You know, the, the, I, I like the fact that... The out-of-time one, yeah. Yeah. I think they've got, like, three years' worth of Tom Baker yeah. in the bag. That's, yeah. like, it's madness. Even I don't have that many of my episodes of my podcast in the bag, you know, but, like... <laughs> But it, I mean, it it does mean that um, you know there's there's like a lot of Tom Baker. A lot more to, to yeah. come. Yeah, which is good, and I think that's one. Dare I say, good side of the the, the lockdown is that you know for for Big Finish, for example, it's allowed them to just crack on and do loads of stories while everybody's stuck at home with no other filming commitments. You know, it's like. Well, I think I think that's absolutely why Chris Braxton is back, though, isn't it? Like he kind of said that in an interview that I pay my bills and I can't do paid acting work at the moment, and this is one way that I can. So I'm not going to say thank God for the pandemic because who would say that? But mm. it is it is a pleasant side effect of a terrible time. I think so someone said, "Oh, when start you know the stars align," and I was thinking, mm. the agent phones up and says. Oh, we've got an offer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's a de- it's definitely a silver lining, isn't it, to uh, to, to to an awful time. But yeah, hope, hopefully he's enjoyed it enough to uh, to want to come back now and again. I hope so. I mean, we we've, we've got another three box sets, haven't we? At least, mm-hmm. um, and then it, it you know it'd be interesting to see what they do with him. Then do you know do they? Continue is Nova still with him? Has he got a new companion? Well, they, they do, do have. They... Uh, Billy Piper's done done a few big finishes as well, so they they could do a run set within series one, couldn't they? Yeah, they could probably find a gap. I mean, they managed to fill a gap between Planet of Fire and Case of Androzani with about thirty stories. Despite <laughs> <laughs> the fact in Case of Androzani, the Doctor doesn't really know Perry at all. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere. that would be like that that's kind of like the uh, that's my big wish i think would be to have chris rexon and billy piper back together mm-hmm. and if they could entice russell t davis to write a script that would be incredible and and maybe that's part of the plan is you know you've got the the big splash of christopher eccleston back and then a couple yeah. of years down the line uh, you know, when we used to have it in back, and it becomes a bit more like, oh yeah, good, we've got another Christopher Eccleston. We've got. Then yeah. we've got we've got Eccleston and Piper, and then it's another big wow. That's uh, you know almost a, almost like another relaunch at that point, isn't it? And if they can get um, Peter Capaldi, Matt Smith, and Jodie Whittaker, and do the the five new Doctors, yes. So <laughs> tell me, you wouldn't buy that? I know you would. <laughs> Because they haven't, they haven't got Capaldi or Smith back yet, have they? No. I think they're working on it, though. I saw something recently where Nick Briggs said, you know, we, we are trying. Because mm. they can't use Jodie because she's current. Yeah. Mm. But, yeah. 
because it, it, it just seemed to be a point last year, obviously Tom was doing quite a lot and David Tennant seemed to be in almost everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it would be good to get, um, you know, Capaldi and, and Smith in so for Matt, something. Matt Smith's just been announced in this Game of Thrones prequel series, hasn't he? So potentially yeah. is is um, is busy for a while. But then, as they say on the making of of this, you know, you you do an episode in a day. Yeah. So it's not a huge huge commitment time wise. It is interesting, isn't it? All the people that have said no, uh, Janet Fielding said no, and eventually she was enticed in. Tom Baker mm. said no, he was enticed in. Um, and now Christopher Eccleston. Mm. I, I don't think anyone's out now. Like, no. mm. definitely. Keep, yeah. kids, keep wishing. It <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine Capaldi in this story? He'd <laughs> 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 do like, you know, Tom Baker and Reebok, where apparently he yeah. the personal room and went, Who wrote this horse shit? <laughs> Say that. <laughs> <laughs> Punch out. <laughs> <laughs> just be standing there in his Scottish accent, something timey wimey. <laughs> could you imagine if you had like Jodie Whittaker and Chris Ferguson, these two northern dogs? I wouldn't understand a word they're saying to each other, honestly. That's offensive. Uh, sorry. Oh, <laughs> 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 so sorry. Uh, that was a hate crime. <laughs> I'm now cancelled <laughs> well thank you both very much um, if you'd just like to tell our listeners uh, where they can find you on, on other podcasts or on the internet uh, James uh, yeah so I'm Chickster2009 on Twitter and I am uh, just at DocOho D-O-C-O-H-O on Twitter I've got two podcasts uh, one is called The Nine Will Be Praised with my friend Jack, who's in much politer than me. Um, so I'm generally yeah, a bit uh, sarky and rude, and, and he's terribly nice. So if you want to listen to a nicer person talking about Doctor Who, head to The Nine Will Be Praised. Um, and I do a commentary podcast called A Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, uh, of which Mark has recorded uh, an episode already on The Happiness Patrol, which was a delight, and we'll be with you soon. And I'm currently featuring in uh, Phantom's Doctor Who review, talking about Doctor Who. So we're reviewing a, a season at a time, myself, Jason, and P-Bow. Brilliant. I, I recommend all those podcasts, and I'll put a link in the show notes. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye. 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 <laughs>